0: Acts chapter number six, if you found it, say amen. Verse number one through verse number seven. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, And said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, I should have went through these names a little more thoroughly before I got up here. Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Thank God for Nicholas's parents. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples was multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And the company of the priests were, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I want to read verse 7 again, because uh, it's important to understand the outcome of the, the passage that we're going to be looking at. The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. They had a great revival. Amen. They had a great revival. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight on growing pains of an apostolic ministry. Growing pains of an apostolic ministry. God, I pray that you would anoint me to teach your word, anoint our ears to hear. God, I pray for your presence to move in our classes that are going on tonight, our children, juniors, youth, grow classes. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to let your word enrich our hearts, help us to grow in faith. I pray, God, that you would bless each one that hears tonight. Let your anointing be here in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus spent three years with his disciples from the time he called them until his crucifixion, these three years were designed to teach the, dipo- the apostles, the disciples, how to minister, how to lead the church, how to do the work of God. Those, they were designed to teach the, dipo- the disciples, the apostles, how to lead the church after the ascension of Christ. The, the goal was for them to take these lessons that Jesus had taught them and apply them when they were leaders of the church. Jesus was not always going to physically be there to solve their issues and answer the questions. And so Jesus took time to teach them how to lead the church. I want to go, if you will, with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 17, verses 1 and 2. Very often when we talk about the book of Acts, I'll incorporate the book of Luke because Luke was the author of Acts. The book of Luke and the book of Acts was at one time one long book. They split it because it was actually too, when it was on scrolls, it was too much to carry at one time. And so what you're dealing with in Luke and Acts are two volumes of basically the same book. The first part is about the life of Christ the second is the life of the church. So Luke 17 and 1, if you found it, say amen. amen. Then said he unto the disciples. So notice he's talking to these same disciples that, uh, that he was speaking of, that, that the book of Acts was speaking of. He said unto the disciples, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. That is a very direct lesson from Christ to the apostles. Verse number two, we're going to start with two and then we'll deal with one, but verse number two is important because that tells us the consequences of someone that offends what Jesus called one of these little ones. Most commentators believe that he's dealing with people that would be new to the faith, that the implication was that, uh, that, that we need to be careful how we handle people that come to the Lord. And, and the, the, the consequences of offense, it's better for him that a millstone hanged around his neck. And cast into the sea. That's What he's saying is you're better off dead than offending somebody on purpose, especially. The truth is that we have to be careful about being offensive. We have different personalities. Some people are more direct, more in your face. Others are are, are more laid back. But when we represent Christ, we have to be careful that we filter our words and our interactions need to be bathed with prayer and the Holy Ghost. We should also note that we have, we all have someone in our life who is easily offended. Amen. I know what you're thinking, it's going to be one of those kind of nights, but it'll be okay. Okay. We all know somebody, we just, people are different. We all know somebody that tends to find slights where nothing was necessarily intended. Some that are extra sensitive, get their feelings hurt. Those kinds of people are, in reality, difficult to deal with. Sometimes there's not much you can do to not offend some people. But as a rule, we should try to take care and try not to because the consequences, as Jesus said, are great. If someone's going to be offended, I pray it'll be their flesh offended by the word of God, not offended because we have purposely tried to hurt someone. And so we need to pay careful consideration to the consequences of offending someone. Jesus said it'd be better that a millstone Tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. To verse number one, Jesus told his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Man, I wish he wouldn't have said that, because ever since he said it, it's happened. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. The word offense there is, in the Greek word, it's the word scandalon. It's the same word that the term scandal comes from. The word literally refers to a, a trap stick that's set for a snare. Like if you were to set a snare to, to trap an animal, that stick that you put the, the, the food on that would be the trap, that trap stick is a skandalon. The where... The word offense comes from that when that stick is triggered that the snare is set whether it's the foot of an animal or an animal puts its head through the through the wire whatever it is on the on the trap that when that trap stick is touched and the trap is set the animal is at risk and that's the same word that the word offense comes from offense is a trap Offense is a trap. It's dangerous. Offense, the word means to snare, an occasion to stumble or fall, something that offends, a stumbling block. Jesus said, it's impossible, but that offenses shall come. At some point, at many points in life, we're all going to have an opportunity to get our feelings hurt by somebody. It's just Jesus said it's impossible, but that that, it's going to happen. It will happen at some point. At some point in your life, somebody's going to do something that's going to be offensive. It's impossible to have more than one person in a group and someone not eventually get offended at the other one. Amen. Sounds like a marriage counseling session waiting to happen, doesn't it? Let, can, let me let me go ahead and say this, because this, this is just kind of the prelude to what I really want to talk about tonight. But if you find yourself often offended and your feelings regularly hurt, you would do well to spend some time in prayer and ask God to show why you're so often easily offended. That's just good advice. I'm not trying to be offensive. <laughs> but it might be impossible. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 loved, I loved my mom. It's hard for me to believe that she's been as go- gone as long as she has been. I would say that I miss her more at this time of year than, uh, than any other time. And I think there's probably a lot of people here that, that kind of are feeling the same way that I'm feeling at this time of year. As much as I loved my mom, my mom was not perfect. Her greatest flaw was that she was very easily offended. There was almost never a time that I remember where her feelings weren't hurt at someone. It was as if she always had to have someone or something to talk about all the time. There was always something. She was either mad at my brother, my sister, my dad. It, was, it wasn't me because she wouldn't have been talking to me. The weeks that we didn't talk is when she was mad at me. Her sisters, her pastor, her, it was always my nephew. It was always somebody. That was her fault in life. She seemed to feel like somebody was always trying to hurt her. And I, I hope that it's, man, I, I don't like talking this way about my mom. But, but you know, sometimes you have to just, just have to tell stuff to keep stuff, to help people get through things, okay? When my mom died, literally hundreds of people came through that visitation. Hundreds. The, the, the church was nearly completely packed. With And it wasn't a little building with people that came to her funeral. My mom was universally loved. I remember at the end of the service while we sat on the front row and people, that, that, that large congregation, it took them forever to go by. And, uh, and, and people that, that would stand at her casket and weep and cry over her body that I knew she'd been offended at for over 25 years. The point is, she robbed herself of a relationship with someone that deeply cared about her because she was so easily offended by things. She didn't speak to one of her best friends for decades because some money was raised to buy clocks for the Sunday school classrooms and they used it for curriculum or something. And I'm like, Years went by. I, let's, I probably don't need this video to get out because I don't want to offend somebody. But, but listen, my point is that, that there were people that wept over her, that she held offense over, that they loved her, but she robbed herself of that time that she could have had with those people because she was so easily offended. And I'm not saying that there were never legitimate reasons for her to be offended. There were times that, that she was done wrong and hurt. But she had a tendency to be oversensitive. She was a great mom and a great lady, and, and, uh, and, but, but she just was easily offended. My mom was raised by an abusive alcoholic father who didn't get the Holy Ghost until she was out of the house already. That environment growing up contributed to her tendency. There were reasons why she was the way that she was. But God wanted to help her with it, and he did. But if you find yourself easily or often offended, we should prayerfully seek God to help us with that. Amen. This is not... uh, uh, you, you may be seated. <laughs> I, know you're, I know you're wanting to shout. <laughs> but listen, if, if you find yourself often offended and hurt, ask God to help you with that because it will free you to enjoy life in a deeper, more real way, all right? It's impossible, that, but that offenses shall come. Everybody say impossible. It's impossible. Offenses shall come. If you've not faced conflict, you're going to. If you have before, you will again. It's impossible. Jesus said it's just going to happen. That's the way that life is. There will be times when you're going to get hurt, somebody's going to hurt you, you're going to hurt somebody else. Everyone that's been hurt has hurt somebody. Intentional or not, Jesus said it's impossible. It's just going to happen. It'd be awesome if everybody became perfect and stayed perfect when they got the Holy Ghost, but that's not how it is. We are all flawed people trying our best to try to become the best we can be. R.T. Kendall said learning to forgive is probably the most difficult lesson for the Christian. Learning to forgive is probably the most difficult lesson for the Christian. Let me read a story to you I found some time ago. It's from, a, it's from a, uh, a writing called The Ancient Heart of Forgiveness that was published in Greater Good Magazine 10 years ago. I'm quoting right now. A young kid, 14 years old, wanted to get into a gang. The way that he proved himself to enter the gang was to shoot somebody. It was an initiation rite. He shot this kid he didn't know. He was apprehended, brought to trial, and at the end of trial, convicted. Just before he was taken away in handcuffs, the mother of the deceased boy stood up, looked the young man in the eye and said, I'm going to kill you. And then she sat down. After the young man had been in prison for a year or so, the dead boy's mother visited. As he waited for her to come, he was a little bit frightened. She said, I've got to talk with you. They have a little bit of conversation. And as she leaves, she says, do you need anything? And she leaves him a little bit of money. She starts to visit him on a regular basis. She goes from every few, she goes every few months, and over the course of three or four years, she starts visiting him more regularly, talking to him. When he's about to get out at the age of 17 or 18, she asks, what are you going to do? He said, I have no idea. I've got no family, no nothing. She says, well, I've got a friend who has a little factory. Maybe I can help you get a job. She arranged the job with the parole officer, Then she asked the young man, where are you going to stay? He said, I don't know where I'm going to go. And she says, well, I have a spare room where you can stay with me. So he comes and stays in the spare room, takes the job, and after about six months, she says, I really need to talk with you. Can you come in the living room, sit down, let's talk. She looks at him and says, remember that day in court when you were convicted of murdering my son for no reason at all to get into your gang? And I stood up and said, I'm going to kill you. Yes, ma'am, I'll never forget that day, he said. And she looks back and says, well, I have. I didn't want a boy who could kill in cold blood like that to continue to exist in the world. So I set about visiting you, bringing you presents, bringing you things, taking care of you to kill the boy you used to be. My son is gone and the only that was the only person I had. I said about changing you and you're not the person that you were. I don't have anybody and I want you to know if you'll stay here I need a son. And so he said yes and she did. It's a remarkable story of forgiveness. A remarkable story of forgiveness. I'm not sure I got that in me. But I do know that the Bible said it's impossible, but that offense shall come. We're all going to have times, we're all going to have times when there are things that come up in our life that are gonna be a snare, it's gonna be a trap. It's gonna be something the enemy wants to use to trap you. We've got to resist that. Now, so far I've been teaching on the book of Acts chapter number 6 and I haven't got to the book of Acts chapter number 6 yet. So let's get there. I read you seven verses. We're only going to cover one of them. So don't get too nervous. Acts 6 and 1. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were were neglected in the daily ministration. This verse has good and bad. The great news is that the number of the disciples was multiplied. The church grew. New people from all walks of life, backgrounds, lifestyles, from all areas were being born again and added to the church. The number of the disciples was multiplied. I'll tell you, multiplication is the goal of the church. Amen. Multiplication is what we want. We want revival. We want to reach people. We want to bring people to the Lord. We want to bring people into the church. But multiplication has difficulties. There were tremendous challenges that faced a growing church. One of the most difficult things for a church to deal with is growth. People bring all kinds of baggage, all kinds of background, customs, cultures, economic and educational backgrounds, all being added into one body, one group, one room, if you will. Different ways of thinking different ways of acting different personalities some loud some quiet some introvert some extrovert people with all kinds of different strengths and weaknesses it's a challenge to have a growing church people raised as jews had been taught to see everyone else as dogs And now they're standing side by side with the Greek that they had been raised to think they were better than. They're standing on the other side next to a Roman that is part of the ethnic group that is doing a military occupation of your homeland. The only reason that they're there is because that military army has invaded your homeland and now you're standing next to them in a church And you've hated them for taking your land, but now you're supposed to love them because you both got the Holy Ghost. Challenges. Challenges of growth. You have Greeks that were raised in the philosophies of Athens and tended to look at the Jews as being superstitious, ignorant, backwoods group of people, and now you're having to rub shoulders with them every day. There's tension in the church because you have so many different ways of acting and thinking and believing. All that joined. You know, I, I tell when I, when I do pre-marriage counseling, I tell them the next year is going to be hard. You don't believe me right now because you're in love. But let me tell you, when you walk back down that aisle, you're in for a hard year. I had somebody, I had somebody tell me that, that uh, you should have told us the first two years. So I might start doing that now why is the first year of marriage so hard because you're like it's like trying to fit gears together you're trying to get two lives blended together to work smooth well when you're dealing with a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different walks of life and you bring them all into one room they have different ideas this 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 person likes this color and that person likes that color and this person likes this team and that person likes that team this person likes this food, and that person likes that, and you're trying to get all that blended together in one group, and, and it is impossible, but that offenses shall come. Well, offenses did come. The leadership of the church were predominantly Jews who had converted to Christianity. There had been this subsequent mighty revival that among the Greeks coming into the church. The first group, the first wave of Christians were all Jews that had converted, and then The next wave are all foreigners, mostly Greeks, that are coming into the church. And you have these two different philosophies. They were raised to think different. They were raised with different tendencies, different outlooks on life. And now they're all in one church and in one body. And the Bible says in Acts 6 and 1, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The Greek widows were not being taken care of as well as the Jewish widows. It was a legitimate problem. It was a real issue. In the kingdom of God, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We're all made of the same kingdom. But the Bible didn't say, the Bible didn't say that they thought their widows were neglected. The Bible says their widows were neglected. It was a legitimate issue, a legitimate problem that needed to be addressed and corrected. In those days, the widows, they didn't have social security and they didn't have have, uh, welfare programs and and assistance programs. And when, when a widow's husband died, she lost her ability to to get income, and they were destitute, and the ones that were in the church, the church took it as a responsibility to make sure that they were taken care of. And so you have Jewish widows and Greek widows, and every day they would, they would, they would minister to them. They would cook food, and they would serve food. And the Bible said, the Bible said in verse number one that there arose a murmuring among the Grecians because their widows were neglected. A legitimate problem, a real issue. They were neglected in the daily ministration. They weren't being taken care of as well as the Jewish widows. The issue threatened to split the church and bring the momentum of revival to a halt. Here they are having this great revival and the the number of the disciples is multiplied and now you have this, this, this issue in the church that threatens to stop revival to end the momentum of revival and, and, and bring a serious split in what was going on. It was impossible. It is impossible for a divided church to have sustained revival. Amen. You might have good service here and there, but to have a sustained revival, you got to have unity. And now the church doesn't have unity because the Greek widows were neglected in the daily ministration. I, I went to Africa Went to Ethiopia in 1995, and at that time, the nation of Ethiopia was having a tremendous revival. They were were having thousands and thousands get the Holy Ghost to the point that uh, that, that the next generation after that mighty revival, the president of the country was a oneness apostolic. It had a great revival. I happened to be there for a regional conference that we saw over 2,000 get the Holy Ghost in one day. It was a remarkable move of the Holy Ghost, and the bishop over the, the organization there at the time, he, he was leading this great revival in the late 80s and early to mid-90s, and he would, he would tell the church to pray and fast for unity, not for revival. He said, because if we'll have unity, we will have revival. That's how important unity is to revival, Amen. They had several meetings where thousands received the Holy Ghost. I was in one service where there were over a thousand documented miracles of people that had been carried in or had crawled in. That there, I, I saw a young man whose leg was mangled and twisted that, that, that was crawling. He crawled on his hands to get into the church, and he walked out on two healed legs. An, an amazing move of the Spirit from, from unity. But now you have this church in the book of Acts And the Bible said the number of the disciples is multiplied. They're having great revival. There's always people coming in. There's always people coming to the church and always people's lives being changed. But now you have this issue. You have a issue in unity because the Bible said the Greek widows were neglected. A real issue. A real problem. Growth is awesome, but growth is challenging. All the momentum and power of the revival is now at risk. If this issue is not properly addressed and dealt with, it threatens to split the church. If the people who were neglected and those who knew them could not get over this issue, the grudges could linger and fester and take all momentum away for revival. This one issue was the first major issue that the church faced this racial conflict of the Jewish and Greek widows remember this point if you don't get anything else out of this lesson if you don't get anything else out remember this one point I'm getting ready to say you can have the right cause but the wrong method in dealing with it you can have the right cause but the wrong way of dealing with it. The Bible said that the Greek widows were neglected, a real issue, a real problem. So let's, let's look at it just a little bit more because how you react to offense is as important as any other part of the situation. I submit to you that the Greeks had a good cause, but they handled it wrong. And their way of handling the issue was about as bad as the actual issue itself. These aren't, these aren't exciting Bible studies. These aren't fun when you have to deal with issues like this, is it? But if we can get this right, we can keep on having revival, folks. Amen. So Acts 6 and 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. There arose a murmuring. The definition of the word murmuring, it means a grumbling, a grudging, a murmur, muttering, a secret debate, a secret displeasure not openly avowed. You have this real issue that needs to be addressed, it needs to be dealt with. But instead of, of going to the leadership and saying, hey, we're having this problem, or instead of going through a biblical process of taking care of disagreements. You have this murmuring going on. The gossip wheel began to turn. They began to talk about it. Hey, did you know that the Jewish widows both got two pieces of bread and the Greek widows only got one piece of bread? That shouldn't happen like that. There's something wrong with that. Do you know that they made the Greek widows get up from the table ten minutes before they made the Jewish widow? I don't know what the rumors would have been. It doesn't really matter what, but there's this murmuring going on. It's, 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 it's this, this, this undercurrent, this secret displeasure not openly avowed. They begin to talk among each other, a grumbling, grudging, murmuring, muttering, secret debate, secret displeasure not openly avowed. A righteous cause can be ruined by an unrighteous response. They were sowing discord and division, which is as bad as the neglect in the ministration. They took an issue and made it worse because they wouldn't keep themselves silent and handle it in a biblical way. The disciples didn't hear it from the people who were offended by the issue. They heard it through the murmuring of the people so let's let's think for a moment about what the murmuring accomplished what did the murmuring accomplish it prolonged the neglect suffered by the widows by the greek widows had they gone to the people who were doing the distribution and addressed the issue then immediately it might have been fixed and the greek widows would have gotten their fair share but because they didn't handle it a biblical way, the very people they were trying to help ended up hurt more because it was prolonged, because it wasn't handled right. The Bible says, if you have aught against your brother, go to him and him alone, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. So if they had gone to the people responsible for it and said, hey, this isn't, go- this isn't right, you're not doing right. This is, and and have a conversation about it. Take your brass knuckles and if you have to get dirt. No, don't do that. I was just trying to see if you were listening. Go to him and him alone. I've got this issue. I've got this problem. We need. To, let's talk about it. Let's try to fix it. But they didn't do that. The next step, according to Matthew, is take a witness. And try, to, and, and try to work it out. And if that don't work, then take it to the, the church. But they never did that. They had this murmuring going on. And so the very people that they are, are supposedly trying to help are, being, are doing without longer because they're not handling the situation properly. A righteous cause can be ruined by an unrighteous response. And so finally, the disciples hear about the issue. And so you have have in this situation, you have a revival that is in peril because anytime you get people together, there's the opportunity for disagreements, offense, and trial. Jesus said it is impossible, but that offense shall come. Can you imagine, can you imagine what would have happened had it not been worked out and the church at Jerusalem split and the momentum of revival is taken away? Can you imagine the the outcome and the effect it would have had on the spread of the early church if this situation could not have been rectified? Let me tell you, one of the most important things that you'll ever do is fight to maintain the unity of the brethren in the bond of peace. It's not ignoring issues. It's not pretending like there's not issues. Jesus said offense shall come. It's going to happen. You will have opportunities. You will have opportunities to be hurt. When, When it happens, let's handle it the right way to preserve the move of the Spirit and the revival in the church. If there's issues in, among people, let's not let those issues be revival killers. It's part, it is part of a growing church. I can tell you exactly how I can have a past, how I can pastor a church where there's no offense and no, no one gets their feelings hurt. And that's when I kick all of you out and I'm here all by myself. And I'll probably get mad at me. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to deal with the life skill in, in, the, the, in the pericope of the scripture here. How long we've we been doing, it's the 20th lesson. I, don't, I know we've skipped a bunch. We've had guest preachers. We've had revival. I've been doing acts for a year and a half. I I told you it takes us longer to teach it than it took them to live it. And this is just the next lesson. This is just the next lesson. I don't know if it's on time or out of time. I don't know if it's helping somebody through something they're dealing with or something they're getting ready to have to deal with. But I'm gonna tell you, Jesus said it is impossible. But that offense shall come. We might as well, it's gonna happen. In this passage of scripture, all of these people had the Holy Ghost. All of these people loved God. They were all part of a revival church, but they still had to deal with issues of growth. There's going to be people, as the revival spreads throughout the community, and the church continues to grow, there's going to be people come into the church that you're gonna have an issue with. It is impossible. That offense shall come. Legitimate issues. The Greek widows were neglected. Getting offended doesn't necessarily mean that, 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 you, that, that you're wrong, but how you respond to it can make all the difference in the world. Man, I'd like to have such a revival. I'd like to have such a revival in our community that everyone you've ever been mad at comes and gets the Holy Ghost. Amen. That everybody that ever talked about you comes and gets baptized in Jesus' name and gets the Holy Ghost. That's the kind of revival I'd like to have. There's, amen. You clap now before they get here because you may not be clapping when they do. Because <laughs> it's impossible, but that offenses shall come. One of the great challenges of a growing church is dealing with the issues that people bring with them when they come. Amen. Somebody's going to do something to hurt you someday. Do I have any witnesses that that's true? Amen. I hope it's not purposeful. But your response can make all the difference in the world. You remember verse number seven? Can you... Can you give me verse number seven back? You notice I haven't done two, three, four, five, and six. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop now with verse number seven. Because I want to give you hope if you are dealing with an issue. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's the same passage of Scripture as great offense and great trial. Let me tell you, there is hope to work stuff out. Can I get an amen? amen? There is hope. You can, you can end up in a great position in revival. Revival in your life does not have to stop because of conflict. It has to be dealt with, but you have to get over, it. you have to go on, you have to pray, you have to work it out a Bible way. What I'm saying is that, that there will be issues of growth. There will be issues of growth. There will be times of struggle. There are growing pains for an apostolic ministry. We're going to get into uh, some of the way that they worked this out. Not not uh, not not tonight. Maybe not next week. It might be after the first of the year. But we're going to when we get back into our book of Acts, we're going to talk about some of the ways they worked it out and how this conflict actually set up a system that propelled the church into another level of revival. That because they saw a weakness and they created a system that fixed that weakness. It pushed the church to a higher level. Conflict well-managed is almost always a growing experience for all those that are in it, if it's well-managed. God, I pray, Lord, that, you, that you've helped me somehow to plant maybe a seed in somebody's spirit. God, talking about conflict and difficulties, never, never enjoyable. God, it's a subject that we wish we never had to talk about, but as you told us in your word, it's impossible, but that offense shall come. God, we've all been hurt. We've all been shot. We've all, been, we've all suffered, God. We've all gone through difficulty. We've all dealt with, with struggles, oh God. We've all been talked about. God, none of us are also without blame because we've probably all done it about somebody else too at some point or another. God, I pray that you help us to have our heart and spirit right. And I pray, God, that when we do face conflicts of growth, issues that come with a growing congregation, help us, God, to properly, to properly adjudicate those issues and, and, and go forward in revival. But, God, I pray, Lord, for the wounded spirit tonight. I pray, God, for those who are dealing with hurts and pains and suffering from things in life, oh God. Offenses. God, I pray that you help us to manage those offenses well. I pray, God, that you help us to respond in a biblical fashion so we can grow and continue to move forward and have revival, not only as a church, but in our personal lives, God, that we can grow closer to you through the things that we deal with in life. Help our conflicts to become productive, to help us to grow into better Christians and better people. God, this is my family. This is my church family. And God, I thank you for the privilege of serving you together with them. This is a great apostolic church, God, that loves souls and loves people. I pray, God, that you help us to move forward in our walk and relationship with you to grow in the grace and knowledge of your word. God, I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name.